Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Uh, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses of Luke 12 this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers. And we're in the, this lengthy series of the Gospels looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John synchronized together to the best chronology we can imagine. As we walk through the story of Jesus, learning who he is and what he is teaching us about ourselves and about his Father's kingdom. Uh, last week, if you were with us, Michael DeFazio, who's on our teaching team, uh, brought us a message out of Luke chapter 11 where Jesus confronted the Pharisees with what in some translations are called the woes, W-O-E-S. They were warnings. And what Michael concluded for us was that Jesus won't let us pretend to be righteous. That he, it's not simply that he's not okay with it. It's not okay for us. And so Jesus won't leave that alone. He won't let us set a level of self-righteousness that pleases us but leaves us far distant from what God designed for us. So Jesus went after the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the leaders of the religious communities. And he said, Jesus, that his whole point is your self-righteousness isn't what we're after. Because they believed that if they did better than they did worse, that they would be in. That they could ignore God in some areas as long as they were really good with God in other areas. And Michael did a fantastic job. I still think about what he said last week about is my righteousness what God's asked for or is my righteousness simply better than yours? At which point Jesus won't let us pretend that we're righteous. And he's going to continue on in Luke chapter 12. Let's read the first couple of verses. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's kind of interesting, in chapter 11, he had been talking with all of the leaders, those that were his enemies. You see, the crowds that gathered Jesus were divided right down the middle. There was a large group of them that were trying to catch Jesus in a compromised statement so that they could prosecute him and eliminate him as a fraud. The majority of the crowd were those that were trying to elevate Jesus to king. You might say, well, one was good and one was bad. No, actually, if you understand God's will for Jesus, both were bad. One was trying to condemn an innocent man because he threatened their power. And the others were trying to make Jesus a method by which they gained something rather than just allowing him to be what God wanted him to be. So Jesus, from chapter 11 to chapter 12, gathers, notice his audience, he gathers his disciples and warns them about the tension between both opposite views. He's saying, this isn't good. Pay attention. And he warns him about the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's a warning. Now, warnings threaten us because warnings tell us that here's something we should be doing or here's something we should not be doing. And we're used to warnings in our life. I, I bored you before, but I'm one of four boys. I'm the third son. And I knew that there was a warning that happened in our home when my father ever said this word with a certain tone. When my dad said, boys, it was a warning. Stop it or start it, one of the two. And we just knew by the tone of his voice that he was giving us a chance. When a teacher, I learned this as a kid in school, when a teacher cleared their throat or stopped talking and just stared at us, there was a warning. 
that you better stop it or you better start doing something right now because you've been asked. When a coach would blow a whistle and ask this question, what are we doing? And I knew the we didn't include him. (laughs) We'd been warned that whatever it is, we need to make it better. Uh, I found out after first hour from my youngest that I have a warning and to him it sounds like this. Did you hear your mother? And he's realized that that is the, most war- the warning that I give him most often. See, warnings surround us every day. There are verbal warnings. There's visual warnings. There's, there's tens in, uh, trends in the weather. There's things that we hear in the stock market that give us warnings. But unfortunately, we get so used to these warnings that we can ignore them. For instance, here, here's some warnings we see regularly that protect us from harm. Here's a list of signs in our culture that warn us. Radioactivity. Power fire, explosions. And when we see these, we're supposed to be aware that our behavior following these signs matter. There are some warnings that protect us from awkward moments in our lives. I like this one. There are warnings that protect us from embarrassment. This is my favorite picture on the internet of all time. And there are some warnings that protect us from evil. I'm so glad Claire Mitchell's here. Okay. Jesus is warning us in a common way. He's saying, I'm warning you against hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? It's wearing a mask. It's what they would do in the theaters. This word comes from playing, it's playing a role. It's playing a role that it's not you. So actors are hypocrites because they put on a persona that's not who they are to portray themselves in a certain way. Now, Not all hypocrisy is evil. Uh, Let me explain. Uh, Jesus was warning them about how they were to live their lives. And we think, well, being a hypocrite then is evil. No, being a hypocrite is a mistake. But sometimes we've learned culturally that being a hypocrite sometimes works. Now, so I want to present this to you and and let you process it with me. And I think I'm going to get in trouble with some of the ladies because it's like I'm tagging something that is sweet but I really want to just point out the fact that there are some things where we're hypocrites and we do it because it works. Let's imagine a first date. Okay, a couple's going on their first date. Two young people. The guy arrives in a beautifully detailed car, clean as can be, to pick up his girl, full tank of gas. He has on $80 jeans. He has a shirt he paid anywhere from $45 to $60 at American Eagle to wear. He has a fresh haircut. To impress her, they go to one of the best restaurants in town, you name it. Could be Red Onion, could be Mythos, could be Golden Corral, whatever fits you, okay? <laughs> I know which one I'm picking. <laughs> She's dressed in her best outfit, 200 bucks at least. Has spent over an hour to get her hair to look, you know, that natural way. <laughs> She's got her face all painted up. She spent two hours getting this together. They're having the perfect evening. But the truth is, he borrowed the car. His is full of empty pop cups and filthy. He never has a full tank of gas in his car. He borrowed the money to pay for the meal and the night. He's probably going to have to work the entire week to pay back his dad. She had her face decorated for over two hours, and her apparel is not hers. The dress may be, but the shoes are mom's, the bracelets are sister's, and her friend loaned her this because it's cute. Am I making fun of a first date? No, I'm just telling you it's two hypocrites because that's not who they are. Because in a real relationship, when a relationship becomes real, what she can actually come down with their hair the way it is that day, and he's got to learn to like it, and he will. 
She doesn't have her face all painted up because she's cute without it. He shows up in his favorite jeans, the only pair he has, and that same hoodie he'll wear till Jesus comes back. That's who he is. <laughs> so you're with me, right? A real relationship doesn't spend hours and hours to put on a mask to portray myself as something I'm not. And so not all hypocrisy is evil. Some of it we look at and we go, it makes sense. But Jesus said you can't live the life of a hypocrite. You have to be really careful. Listen to Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Fears the Lord. That seems like an odd phrase. Whenever you see that, you think, am I supposed to cower? You know, God reaches toward me and I flinch that he's going to hit me? No. Fearing the Lord means you know who he is. You respect him. You respect his wisdom and his power and his majesty. You don't bow your chest up to God like your equals. You know your role. He's God. You're not. And that's healthy. And you delight in his commands rather than reject them and rebuke them. Verse 6. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. You see, life in the kingdom, the good news this morning is that life in the kingdom of Jesus means you don't have to pretend who you are because you're accepted as you are. Now, Jesus isn't going to leave you as you are, but you don't have to put on a mask to impress a bunch of people who aren't named Jesus. You can be honest about who you are, and that's where sanctification begins. Two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 12, we talked about it, and it will come up again today in today's text, so I want to address it just briefly to remind you. We talked in Matthew 12 where Jesus taught about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we do something so bad that God goes, I'm done with you. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is actually when we say we're done with God. It's when the truth of God and the presence of God and the work of God is not enough for us that we dismiss them like they did with Jesus saying he was demonic. And Jesus said, be careful. You may not know who I am, but when the spirit comes upon you and your spirit cries out that this is truth and you ignore that truth or do nothing with that truth, you're rejecting God. And there'll come a point in time where your heart won't hear the voice of God anymore and there'll be no repentance. And without repentance, there is no salvation. I'm telling you today, when Jesus says, take your mask off, he's warning us. But some of us are like, yeah, but I like this mask. I've worn it so long, it almost feels like it's the real me. It's not. Heed the warning. Because hypocrisy is deception that comes from fear or pride. Hypocrisy is a deception that comes from our fear of man or our pride that we've got the world figured out and fooled. And I don't believe, and I know this is harsh, but I don't believe there's a person in this room who doesn't wear a mask every now and then. And some of us don't even know who the real we are is because we're always wearing the mask. We're doing what makes everybody else happy. We're doing what makes everybody else think better of us. We're doing all these things so people will think what we know in our hearts we're not. Fear or pride. I remember as I was a kid, it was, a, it was just one of these days. You know, I mean, today is like a perfect day to wrap up in a blanket and a good book and look out the window and be grateful you're not out there. And it was a cold winter's night in uh, northern Indiana where I was born and raised, and I decided I wanted to make chocolate chip cookies because we were going to be in all night, and I was hungry. I said to mom, can I make chocolate chip cookies? I was about 10 or 11 at the time. She was like, yeah. She goes, you know where my recipe is? So I got a recipe box out, and I pulled out her chocolate chip cookie, and I got everything together, and we had everything in the house, and I was excited. There were six of us in the house, and so I thought three dozen cookies would be sufficient. So I was going to make chocolate chip cookies, 
And I had it all timed out where I made all the triple batch and I was ready to go and I was going to try to bake them all at one time. My mom said, well, you have to bake them a little bit longer, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they need to be soft in the middle, uncooked, actually. And you need to eat them within 30 seconds of taking them out of the oven. Because when you break a cookie, if the chocolate doesn't string between the two chips, you've done it wrong. And you're supposed to eat them so that you just take every fiber of taste bud out of your face. And I was excited about this. I told my brothers about it, and I, no one was going to help me. Well, I did everything exactly like I was supposed to. They came out. They were golden brown. It was perfect. I made one tiny mistake. The, my mom's recipe said one tablespoon of salt. I thought it said a cup. <laughs> You've done it too? Awesome. They look great. Everyone was patting me on the back. There was going to be a parade. I was going to be put in the Hall of Fame for cookie bakers. On the outside, they looked fantastic until my brother Scott and I snagged one and ate it. Wow. You see, if I had any luck at all, all the salt would have landed in one cookie and we could have disposed of that. But salt doesn't do that. Salt disseminates itself over the entire product. They were so bad, our dog wouldn't eat one. True story. Gave one to our dog Buffy. He spit it out. He's like, peace, I'll starve. And he just walked away. It was a memorable moment for me because when I hear Jesus say... Stay away from the yeast of the Pharisees. Why? Because hypocrisy does to the ego what yeast does to the bread. It inflates it. See, this is warning us. You can fool people to think you're something you know you're not, but at the end of the day, what have you gained? Except a temporary reputation at the cost of your character. You see, there are four things, and I'm going to do them real quick here. And Jesus stacks these four arguments together. Why? The hypocrisy based on the fear of man or the pride of fooling people, why it's not good. First of all, he says the fear of man is foolish and futile. Let's just term it that way. It's a foolish act and it gains you nothing to do it. Verses two and three. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roof. Now, Jesus is talking about his teaching. He's talking about what we do with the truth. And he says, listen, you can fool them sometime, but eventually the truth is going to be found out. And when it's found out, all that you've gained in this reputation and this image before mankind is going to be lost. Haven't we all been exposed in our lives at one point in time where you realize that everything you thought you gained was never really worth anything anyway? And so in this moment, Jesus is warning us about the futility and foolishness of doing it. He said, there are no secrets. God knows. We probably all have someone in our life. I know I have two people in my life that they don't believe a thing I say because they know me. Or I'll bring this up and they're like, really? And I'm like, ah, you're right. I got to stop that. Because even I want the people, even if I know it's a lie sometimes, it makes me feel good to have people think something of me that I wish I were. Jesus said, don't you know that God knows everything? And here's what I want you to understand. When you hear God knows everything, you could become fearful. But let me tell you who knows everything. I don't want to tell you that he knows everything. I want you to know who knows it. And here's what you need to know. The one who knows everything about you loves you more than any person you've ever fooled. This person who knows every lie, every dark thought, every tendency you had pursued you when all of these people only love you because you've made it yourself into the image you, wanted, you thought they wanted you to be. Jesus said, take your mask off. God knows who's under there anyway. Secondly, the fear of man grieves the father who cares for us. So it's not only foolish and futile, but that God who cares for us. He said, I tell you, my friends, remember who he's talking to, 
He's, he's not talking to people that don't believe in him. That's why this sermon's for us as rough as it is. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. The word fear is all over this text. Fear him who after killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. <laughs> Noted. Sounds a lot like boys. Or what are we doing? Or do you hear your mother? Warnings. Warnings about behavior. Warnings about thought process. Warnings about who do I want to be. You see, and I, I need to pause here for a moment because I've become more and more concerned that in this age of celebrity pastors, where someone has a big church in some area and all of a sudden they become an expert in everything, we have to be real careful of that. And one of the things that concerns me most is there's a lot of celebrity pastors out there who are telling people that hell's not a real thing. It's just what the church has used to control people. I'm going to tell you this. Read this text and tell me what Jesus believed in. Because he's warning us. Now, hell does not and will not motivate you to follow Jesus. You all know that, right? Oh, I could come in here if I wanted to, and if I was real creepy, I could come in here and just rail on people and threaten them with hell every weekend. But nobody follows Jesus because they're scared of hell. They follow Jesus because he gives them something so much better than the hell we choose for ourselves. Because I, I believe with all my heart, Jesus won't send anyone to hell. You'll choose it. And he's trying to warn us because he loves us, because the Father cares for us. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. You see, instead of just threatening, Jesus comes back and goes, but understand, if he takes care of all of nature and its beauty and he feeds the birds, won't he take care of you? This goes all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount we covered this summer. Proverbs 29, 25 Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Take the mask off and find out for the first time in your life what real safety feels like. Because the person who truly fears God has nothing else to fear. It doesn't mean the world can't hurt us. It doesn't mean the world can't destroy our reputation or expose us or bring scars to our lives because of the sin we've committed. There's, the world is not for you. The only time that culture is ever for you is when it can use you to get what it wants. So he's not saying the world can't hurt you. He's just saying there's nothing the world can do to you that God can't fix, that God can't restore, that God can't repair. Thirdly, the fear of man grieves the son who died for us. It grieves the father who cares for us and it grieves the son who died for us. Verse eight, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Acknowledgement and disowning. Interesting phrases Jesus uses. Because he's saying to us that when you care more about what man thinks of you than what God thinks of you, it'll sound like this. I believe in Jesus, but I don't take it to work. I believe in Jesus, but we don't do much of it in our home. We just don't talk about it. You know, religion's a private thing. That's a lie. Christianity's never been private. It's always been communal. God didn't call an individual. He called a nation. The church is a group of people that strive with each other and for each other and correct one another and love one another and serve community. We're lights in dark places. But when you fear what men think of you, then you can get away with things in your mind like, I don't have to, you know, I just don't take it to work. I, it's not a place for that. Excuse me? If Jesus is true and hell is real, and heaven is our home, 
And how unloving is it for us to say, I have mine, you get yours. And this is what happens when we're more worried about what men think of us than we are about what God knows about us. And God knows that we're made in his image and that he loves us and that we can be restored and his mercy is rich. You see, hypocrisy protects the reputation, but it starves our character. Dr. Ajay Law, when I had a chance to be in India a couple of times with him, he's an amazing man. My friend Jason uh, French says it very well. He's the, he's the current Apostle Paul. Church planner, leader, just a, has an incredible ministry. We were having lunch with him one day, and he's a great storyteller because his stories are real. And we knew of this legendary story about one time he went to preach in this village, and he was told by the chief of police that if he stood up and talked about Jesus and tried to convert people, that he would be killed instantly. And Ajay said this is what God called him to do. So he went into this village, and he was presenting in this village who Jesus was, and he looked out, and there was the chief of police pointing a rifle right at him. And this is the chief of police, so he's going to get away with it. And while he was preaching that message, he said he looked at that. And, and then he started eating his lunch. And we're like, what? What, what happened? And he's like, he looks at us and he goes, well, I thought these words. He said, as I was preaching, I looked out and I said, Jesus never turned his back on me. How can I turn my back on him? And he was eating lunch with me, so obviously it worked. And we said, what happened? And by the end of his sermon, that chief of police who was pointing a rifle at Dr. Law was one to Jesus Christ and gave his life to Jesus. I won't turn my back on the one who will never turn his back on me. So let me ask you a question. Are these people that you're so worried about what they think of you, will they ever turn their back on you under a crisis? Or will they go to a cross and die for you? You see, you can love your neighbor, but you can only do it well with the love of Jesus first. The fourth thing is the fear of man grieves the Holy Spirit who enables us to be strong in the Lord. Did you pick something up here? When we're hypocrites, it grieves the Father who cares for us. It grieves the Son who died for us. And it grieves the Holy Spirit who enables us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. You have to take your mask off for the work of God to be effective in you. Which means you have to let the world see who you really are, not who they want you to be. And then you'll find that the the ministry of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit become greater in your life. Verse 10, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. What does that mean? I know some people, and in, in, in an earlier time in my life, I believe the same thing. That it didn't matter. Jesus said, no matter what I did with my life, that if there was a moment that I needed to preach for him, he'd give me the words. I tend to believe differently now. I tend to believe that God will not draw anything out of you that's not already in you. So I don't think because you don't study your Bible or you're not reading scripture and meditating on the truth of God, that all of a sudden you're going to become a walking encyclopedia of scripture verses when you need to be. What I believe is the Holy Spirit will give us the strength and enable us to testify to Jesus. Well, what, what proof do you have of that, Mark? The book of Acts. You want to talk about a group of people that were uneducated, inexperienced, in fact, ran away from Jesus in his worst moment, and one book later are testifying to their death, who Jesus Christ is, so convinced by the resurrection that they would never turn their back on the one who never turned their back on him or on them. 
So you have this moment where there they are in the midst of all of this. Stephen's the perfect example. We don't know Stephen's education, but we know he wasn't a rabbi. He was just a man that was serving widows in the community who needed food. So the church said, this is what we do. So he was serving them. And then he was preaching Jesus to them. And the authorities came to him, just like Jesus said they would. They came to Stephen. They said, you stop. And he's like, nah, I'm going to keep doing it. You better stop or we're going to kill you. Then kill me. And while they took Stephen to this gate outside the city, and they began to stone him, and they were throwing these big rocks on him to crush his brain and to stop his body and to give him one of the most painful deaths you could imagine. While they were doing this, it said Stephen looked up into heaven and God gave him a vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, to a Western mind like we Americans, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, rather. But let me tell you what it does mean. The scriptures say that when Jesus completed the work that God sent him to do, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and ascended back to the Father, the Bible says in multiple places, he sat down at the right hand of God. When Stephen looked up, what was he doing? He was standing. You want to bring Jesus to his feet? Stand up for him. And he will stand up for you. And if you'll acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge you before his Father. In other words, God and Jesus are looking down going, that's my girl. And that's my boy, because they stood against the world. And we don't stand obnoxiously. We we stand secure in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. You see, he says, the evidence of the Holy Spirit found through the book of Acts caused people to stand up for Christ, and God enabled them. They had words to say. The sermon that Stephen preached is fantastic. It draws throughout the entire Old Testament all the moments where God was prepping his people for this. So what are we supposed to do with this? How are you supposed to take this? Take off your mask. Yes, yeah, you've wore the mask so long you don't even know what the real you is anymore. Take the mask off. Trust that in the mercy of God, yes, it'll be awkward and it'll be hard and there will be people who'll be disappointed because for the longest time you played a role to try to convince them that you were what you knew you weren't. And that's hard. But the same spirit that would enable Peter or uh, Stephen to preach that day will give you the ability to receive the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and become real. The world is looking for someone who really follows Jesus. And I think what they really want is a real person who follows Jesus. Not platitudes and bumper stickers and stuff that's not in our world. It's people that are walking every day led by the Holy Spirit to trust. Take off the mask. And you do that in community, which means for some of you today, the boldest task you have in front of you is to say to your spouse, I need to tell you that I'm tired of pretending, tired of acting. I just need to surrender to who I am in Christ and he won't leave me there. But if I spend my whole life pretending, I stay exactly where I've always been. So take this warning with gratitude. I am grateful that my dad would give us the boys, I remember once or twice he didn't, not so fond of that. But very grateful when he said, You've crossed, you're getting close to the line, stop. My entire life I've been grac- grateful for that, but not as grateful with Jesus as I should have been. Sometimes his warnings offend me. Sometimes they challenge me and sometimes they make me angry. But he's always doing it for my heart, for my soul, for my, my future. He's not doing it because he's powerful. He's doing it because he loves me. So remove the mask of cool secure, confident, private, self-righteous. Take the mask off this morning and lay it at the foot of the cross. Say to Jesus, I'm sorry. I know who I am. 
And do you love me as I am? And watch the work of the Spirit when the pretending's over bring you to life. I wanted so much to tell you the story of Pinocchio this morning, but you know it. All he ever wanted to do was be a real boy. And I think all Jesus ever wants us to do is just become real. It's ugly, isn't it? Under the mask, I'm not that handsome. But it's who I am. And that's who he died for. Hypocrisy will protect your reputation, but it'll starve your character. I've shared this with you before. I've witnessed and performed hundreds of eulogies at funerals. Never once heard pastor at a funeral talk about what kind of car they drove, how much money they made, what their title was at work. But I have heard him talk about the character, that they love their family, that they love Jesus. Were they a person you could count on? Hypocrisy, it'll build your reputation. It'll starve your character. Who are we? Children of the King, who knows exactly who we are. Be free with him and find life and experience what that is. If you don't know how to do that, and your heart right now is pounding with, I must do something. I had a gentleman join me in the hallway after second hour and he walked up and he said, It was an act of obedience. He said, God has been asking me to do this for years. He said, I'm 40 years old. I'm embarrassed. I never did it. I need to do it. I said, well, today's a great day to be obedient. He took his mask off. It was hard. He was safe. If you need to have a conversation with someone, we've got a bunch of people would love to pray and journey with you because the mask may not come off easily, but it needs to come off. At this moment in time, normally in a service, I'll ask you to stand, but we're going to ask you to just sit and process and listen to a song about the mercy that's available to us. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.